0: and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. What a privilege it is to stand up here and to be able to declare the Word of God, and um, it's just a joy. Um, I, I told First Service, so thankful for um, uh, those, my family, others, who, uh, whether it's Steve or Bob, whoever, thanks for being a praying church that prays for us as we bring the Word of God. Um, you feel the weight of that, and I'm sure as you read, heard the words of Psalm 12, there's some weightiness to Psalm 12 today. And so, even as you're seated there, I'd appreciate your prayers as we go through. Last week, we um, introduced um, our, summer in the, our summer in the Psalms, studying, studying, the, studying the Psalms together. And we, we're going to do Psalm 11 through 20 this summer. And so, last Sunday, we did Psalm 11. Today, we're doing Psalm 12. And in Psalm 11, David's friends were asking, when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And, of course, David's response was, trust in the Lord. I will take refuge in in Him. So this week as we look at Psalm 12, David is looking around and he's seeing that the attacks of the wicked, and again, we don't know if it's exactly after he wrote Psalm 11, but it, it seems like there's, there's a closeness to it. Because as he looks around, he sees that the wicked had taken its toll on many of his righteous friends, and we talked about those terms righteous and wicked last week. Either one, they had died perhaps, some had died, either, or two... They were gone. They had abandoned their responsibilities. They thought, "Man, we're out of here." David didn't flee. Perhaps many of his friends did flee, or perhaps he was looking around and realized those who said they were righteous never were a part of the righteous group that I thought. And that's always that's always been the case in any generation, no matter where, no matter no matter his generation or our generation in the church today. And so today, I'd invite you to open your Bibles. We're going to read from Psalm 12 again. You already heard it earlier, but I'm going to read it again. I'm going to be reading from the CSB, um, and it reads like this. Your, either your Bible or your electronic device, please uh, open that up. For the choir director, according to Shemineth, and just a little side note here, that, that, that term literally means, it's a musical term, but probably means in a lower octave, so it means probably that it was, it was sung by men, probably in the church, um, as, uh, or not the church, but in the temple um, later on. Um, it's a psalm of David. David starts out, help, Lord, for no faithful one remains. The loyal have disappeared from the human race. They lie to one another. They speak with flattering lips and deceptive hearts. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks boastfully. They say, through our tongues we have power, our lips our own. Who can be our master? Because of the devastation of the needy and the groaning of the poor, I will now rise up, says the Lord. I will provide safety for the one who longs for it. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in an earthen furnace purified seven times. You, Lord, will guard us. You will protect us from this generation forever. The wicked prowl all around, and what is worthless is exalted by the human race. Let's pray. Father, thank you as David declares the purity of your word. It is pure. It's undefiled. We hold the very word of God in our hands. We speak the word of God today. What a privilege that is God, my prayer always, whether I'm in this setting, whether I'm speaking to kids, whether I'm speaking to adults, parents, whatever the situation is, whether I'm in a counseling session, God, but really my prayer constantly is, God, because I know my own heart, I want to have the prayer of John the Baptist. May I decrease and you increase. Because God, I, I, I'm totally aware that there's no words I can say, even if I spoke with the tongues of angels. If you do not, Holy Spirit, do a work in the hearts of men and women in this auditorium, it won't, it won't happen. And so God, please, may we have ears to hear. Please, Holy Spirit, work as only you can. We will give you all the praise because you deserve Jesus, all the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just as with Psalm 11, um, we are not sure again when when David wrote this. Um, It's possible. It could have been during a time in which David was not the king yet. Saul was the king. And Saul was spreading lies about David to manipulate his own leaders. It's possible that David wrote this when his son Absalom was trying to take the throne from his own dad. Basically trying to kill his own dad. I always tell parents, just just, just a little side note here. Dads, moms, on your worst day, I doubt your son's ever risen up and said, I want to kill you today. Okay. David's son did, by the way. So I always tell parents, take heart, even in the worst of days. Um, so, um, but whatever, whenever, Dave, whenever David did write this, whether it was during one of those times or another time, we just don't know. Here's what we do know from the text. David felt alone. Um, David also entrusted this psalm to the choir director so that, quite frankly, the reason why I love that when you say that, why, did, why is it written to the choir director? Well, as we said earlier last week about an overview of the psalms, to, they were to be sung in the temple for future generations, And so clearly David was wanting this psalm through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to be sung in future generations, the message that's going to be, the message declared. And by the way, when we do singing here, they have a message, church. It should be good theology, just like when they're reading the psalms, great theology. And so, but the the problem was, unfortunately, if you know the history of Israel, they didn't listen to this song very well. They might have sung this song, but they didn't listen to it very well. Because if you read later prophets like, Hosea and Isaiah, Jeremiah and Micah. They condemn their culture for the same thing that David's gonna condemn his culture was. They're they're living in a culture of lies. And so just as David was declaring that today, crying out, why am I living in this culture of lies? Future generations, and by the way, here we are 3,000 years later and we still live in a culture of lies. So nothing has changed like I said last week. There's nothing new under the sun church. It's always the same for all generations. So if we dig into Psalm 12 today, Think about the fact that if this is how things are among God's people, and by the way, he's reading it to his own people. This is written about his own people. How much more wicked must be the Gentile world, quite frankly? This is what he's talking about. And when I say Gentiles, if you read New Testament, it usually means unbelievers. Unbelievers. I mean, how we know that? Because in verse one, it says the loyal have disappeared from the human race. And then in verse eight, he says, when God's, it says, what is worthless is exalted among the human race. And so the question is, when God's people are corrupt, and I think we need to take note of this, when God's people are corrupt, what must the world around us look like? Because we, as I said last week, are to be salt of the earth and light of the world. They are looking at us. And if we are not doing what we ought to be, why should we expect the world around us to be any better? It will be worse. It will be worse. So although this psalm is only eight, eight verses, last week was only seven. Man, there's a lot in these eight verses. A lot is happening in David's life. A lot is happening in Israel at this moment. I believe it can be broken down in the following way. And you can, you can break it down. If I did say this week, it can break it down other ways as well. But I've chosen to break it down this way. I think the first thing we see is David's plea for help in verse one. I think the second thing we see is the words of the wicked in verses two through four. In verse five, we hear the word of the Lord where God speaks directly, which is very rare in the Psalms, by the way. And then in verses 6 through 8, we get David's response. And so in the midst of a people that lied, flattered, deceived, and boasted with their words and actions, sounds like today, um, it's very relevant. This, this Psalm is very relevant for our culture, very relevant for our church. David begins this Psalm in almost similar ways he did Psalm 11, when in Psalm 11 he said, Lord, I have taken refuge in you. And using the personal name Yahweh, that personal name, Lord, all in caps. Well, in this psalm, David's plea for help is this, help, Lord. Church, this is a great takeaway. Sometimes when you don't know how to pray, those two words is all you need. Help, Lord. I need help right now. I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. But I can pray those two words. Help, Lord. If you're a parent here, you know sometimes, man, there were times where your children just cried out for help and you were boom. Usually if, if you're on it, help, they need help. I'm glad we have a heavenly father that's way above my abilities as a humanly father. Help, Lord. I'm reminded of the man in the New Testament where Jesus speaks of that the religious guy speaking all these words of eloquence, but it's the one, the sinner said, God, have mercy on my, me, a sinner. Those seven short words is all he said, but God heard that prayer. Church, if you don't know how to pray sometimes, just say those two words. Help, Lord, I'm in trouble. I need your help right now. I love this Psalm. It's just in Psalm 11 and Psalm 12. Very, very, very consistent pattern with David. When he has nowhere to go, where does he look? To God. His friends may be bailing on him, but God does not bail on him. He knows that. Even when David is questioning God, he knows in his heart, God will not bail on me. Church, even if those around you are doing things contrary, or they're they're, they're just making, saying words and doing things, just know this, we have a God who will not leave you. He is consistent. So David lifts up his voice to prayer and prayer to God. He does the right thing, he just looks up. David cries out to God, and why does he look up? It says in the text, it says, it says in verse two, or verse one, no one faith, for no faithful one remains. The loyal have disappeared from the human race. Now, what does that mean, faithful mean? We could say, well, they're, they're there. But what, what it really means in the context is, David is saying here, they're not being loyal to the covenant they had made with God. They may be there, just, just, just so you know, church, you may be here today. There's times where I've probably been here, but my heart is far from God. And I'm glad you're here by the way, but by the way, that doesn't mean we're being faithful in the moment. And David is looking out and saying, God, they're not, they're not, they're not honoring their relationships with you, with one another. They're not being trustworthy. They're not walking in integrity. They're quite frankly, they're not dependable. That's what that word faithful in that context means. David is looking around and, 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 and just before I say any more about that, I, I, God led Laura and I to Antioch back in 1991. I will tell you, I, I, I cannot thank Jesus enough for leading us here to begin with. But then, as I look around in section after section, in every service I will be at today, I am so grateful to God for faithful ones of God who have made faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ here at Antioch. I don't want to even name names because I'm, I know that I will miss names and I don't want to offend anyone. They have been testimonies of faith through good times, through bad times. Not just in their own life, but in the life of this church. And I would just say today, church, be faithful to Jesus. Be faithful to his bride, the church of Jesus Christ. Be one of those ones who's counted later as, man, they were faithful. Even through the most difficult of moments. But just like Elijah, I think David's kind of having a little pity party here. Because when he says, no one faithful remains, I think he's no doubt exaggerating here. Because the Bible always says, he will keep a remnant. It's never just no one is being faithful. It's kind of like Elijah in First Kings 19. When Elijah, after he just called down fire from heaven, he just gave him a great victory over the prophets of Baal. And Elijah cries out, God, there's no one but me in all of Israel doing the right thing. And God has to tell Elijah, there's 450 who have not bowed their knee. Okay, just knock it off here. And I don't know if God's telling David here in this moment. But I think it's good to know that even though we know there's others beside David being faithful. And maybe what he meant was no one around me seems to be faithful. Here's what we do know. David felt alone. He felt alone. I, I think there's going to be times in your life where you feel alone. There's been times in my life as a, as a dad, I felt alone. Even with Lori by my side. There were times I had to make as the dad a decision for our girls that maybe their friend's parents were making or maybe it was going on in their school or maybe whatever was going on and there were decisions that had to be made that guess what, Todd Slegel was not popular at 6733 North Madison Avenue. Yeah. Dad, mom, been times like that? You feel alone. Now, I, I get it, I'm not like David's aloneness, he has such greater responsibilities than I'll ever have. But. There were moments like that. There's one particular moment where Lori told me, it was years later, and believe me, there were times where I didn't always make the right decision. I'll just tell you that right now. I'm not going to, that'd be a laundry list right now. But there was one particular moment, and I'm not going to get into the details, but Lori told me years later, she she told me this. She goes, Todd, thank you for making a decision I did not want to make because I wanted peace. I wanted to not have conflict in our house, and I knew it was going to create conflict with our daughters, our oldest in particular, and I'm so glad you did that. Parent, I want to encourage you. You may not always get the, res- the, the benefit right then, but I want to encourage you on the authority of God's word. Even when you're alone, trust the Lord Jesus Christ to get you through it. Trust him. So as David looks around, he describes to God the contradictory lives he has seen. He's... They're just, they're not, their lives, their words aren't matching up. Their lives aren't matching up with their words. Church, that's a danger for us, is it not? Our lives don't match our words. That's convict. This, by the way, this Psalm 12 this week, it's driven me to my knees multiple times. Because it's speaking right to my heart today. This is a convicting, challenging psalm. I, l- I said last week, this psalm written 3,000 years ago was just as relevant today in the year 2022. It, it, he, David could have wrote it right now. Here's what he goes on to say the words of the wicked. Not only does he have a plea for God, why does he have a plea for God? Because of the words of the wicked. In verses two through four, it says, They lie to one another. They speak with flattering lips and deceptive hearts. May the Lord, using God's personal name, Yahweh, cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks boastfully. They say, Through our tongues we have power, our lips are our own. Who can be our master? I believe we see four ways in which the wicked are using their words in, these, in these, these three short verses. One, lies, flattery, deceit, and boastfulness. Is that not the same today? David saw many people who said all the right things, yet he didn't see them matching with their lives. Here's the thing, church. Here's where the danger for us today. We talked about last week. The longer we're as a church, the longer we can become very self-righteous. And we talked about that. Here's the thing. We can have all the right theology, but our lives can be a train wreck. We can do it all right in here on this Sunday morning. This is an easy group to do it right at. But Monday through Saturday, could someone look at you and say, man, they know Jesus. They talk like Jesus. It's convicting to me personally. What our lips say comes from who we are on the inside church. Jesus said it best, best in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34 when he said, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. That's why we can never say, I didn't mean to say that. Yes, you did. It just came out of your lips. It was already in our heart. So many times I have said something, wish I would have stayed inside, but it came out. It came out. Guys, who we are, that's, the Hebrew way of thinking was the heart was... Who you are, who we are. It's, closer, it's, it's, it's the closest thing to our intellect, our mind. So David's looking around and he's seeing these people filled with lies. The first thing we see is that they lie to one another. They, in this context, emphasizes the breadth of the problem. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. When he refers to the phrase to one another, it emphasizes the depth to their country, to their families. It's, it's in their business workplace. It's, it's, it's the depth of it is beyond measure. Every segment of Israel's society was deceitful. To lie means falsehood. And of course, we know what the term means, but I think, which means a distortion of the truth. But the Hebrew word, while it also includes this idea, what it really gets down to is it really means emptiness. Thus, it includes the additional ideas of like they were being insincere. They're being irresponsible. So it wasn't just distorting the truth. They're being insincere with their own lives. And again, church, that can be the danger for us today. As a church, nothing will destroy our relations more quickly than lying, lying to one another. Whether it's from the pulpit, whether it's more meeting with somebody in counseling, whether it's in your homes, whether it's doing life with one another, whether it's through social media, it will destroy the church. I love how Paul writes it in Ephesians chapter 4. I go to Ephesians 4 often when it comes to words in my own heart where he says, therefore. What's the therefore? He says the therefore, because if you read earlier in Ephesians 4, it talks about all the things we did as unbelievers. All the things we said. All the actions that, that, quite frankly, characterized our life. And he's saying, because you're no longer that, this is what it should look like now. And he says, therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. If we want to live together in love and unity, we must be a people of truth. I think I said earlier, one of my favorite Proverbs is this, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. We must speak the truth in love to one another. We cannot lie. Just, we need truth in our culture, in this church. The second thing that David goes on to write about to this group of people is that they speak with flattering lips. Flattery goes beyond mere emptiness because it contains, it contains additional things like an evil motive. My motives are not pure. They're not right. The Hebrew word actually means smooth when you hear the word flattery. We would say it's smooth talk. Um, it's false. It's pleasing. It's deadly. People often flatter for bad purposes. They want to get something out of them. I gotta tell you, as a pastor, one of the things I have to guard against is I never want somebody to think when they see Todd Slagle's number come up on their phone that Todd Slagle wants something always. You might think that's odd, but I never want them to think Todd is calling me only for that reason. And hopefully my is good. I hope it's not evil. But, but, and sometimes that is the phone call. I I, I need something right now. There is a need. But so I, I try to guard against that by not just calling for that reason as one of their pastors, hopefully to encourage them. Texting to encourage them, an email to encourage them, not just, hey, I need you for something. Church, we need to be careful about that on guard, that it's not just, we don't use others for our own personal benefit. That's what was going on here. They were flattering to get for their own personal gain. We don't know what that might have been, but clearly it was going on. Daniel tells us that flattery will be a tool of that wicked ruler who will rise at the last day. In Daniel chapter 11, he writes, with flattery, he will corrupt those who act wickedly toward the covenant. Jude warns us in the New Testament that false teachers will creep into the church through words of flattery when he writes almost the exact words of Psalm 12 when Jude writes, these people are discontented grumblers, living according to their desires, their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. Those are harsh words. That's through the church. David then goes on to say that they have deceptive hearts. Bottom line, they deceive. The Hebrew text literally says, I love how the Hebrew text says it. They speak with a heart and a heart. Meaning, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. It is using a word that means one thing to advance something that is the exact opposite. But they're not being really truthful with the words they're saying. They're using their words to their advantage. As I thought about this week, and I know there's a lot of ways I could go with this, and we always want to be careful in context from the pulpit of saying things. But I will tell you, I think in our modern life, in the last 50 years, when I think about this word deceiving and deception, I think nothing has been more obvious than, than, than this. It's the misuse of language to legitimize abortion. Since most of society would still say the murder of innocent children is unacceptable, there has been a concerted effort to attempt to rename what is done. First, let's just call it a fetus. Second, it's just tissue. We don't want to use the terms child or baby. Why? It personalizes it. It makes it real. The deceit is the intentionality of not using those terms. Then even the word abortion has been changed. We don't want to use that terminology. Rather, we use the terms, it's a surgical procedure or it's reproductive choice. A surgical procedure is me having a mole removed, not having a baby killed. Church, I don't say that I say that this is harsh. This is what deception looks like. We use our words to fit our agenda. Why? Because the double-hearted man is thinking two things at the same time, what he wants and what he needs to say to get what he wants. Truth takes a back seat to selfishness. That's what was happening in David's day. It happens in our day. We don't want the truth to come out because that doesn't fit what I want right now. What I want. Finally, David then says, and the tongue that speaks boastfully, they say, through our tongue, we have power. Our lips are our own. Who can be our master? Wow, this is convicting right here. I mean... The boasting David is calling out, it was an outward expression of the deadly sin of pride. And by the way, all of these come back to that root word, pride. The sin in the garden was pride. The sin that led us to be unbelievers, that's pride. That—that—that that, that pride. Period. Everything that we can almost look, everything back to pride. And David finally wraps it up with that. It's all about pride. And wh- how are they speaking? There's re- three things in this, this whole idea. Who can be our master? The first thing is they say, through our tongues we have power. They're basically saying this claim justifies the means by the end. We don't care how we get there. This is where we want to end at. Secondly, our lips are our own. They're basically saying, I can say whatever I want. Whatever I want. I don't care who I hurt, who I deceive, who I lie to. And why do they say that? Because they finally wrap it up with, who can be my master? Even if we lie when we speak, who is there who can call us to account? Who can call us to account? I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, where he says, One day, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The same ones, us, church, we with our words, the lost with their words, we will all give an account one day for the words we have spoken. We will stand before a righteous judge. His name is Jesus. And we will bow the knee. They will no longer be able to say, who is my master? They will be standing in front of the master. Listen to what James New Testament writes about the tongue. So too. Oh, the tongue is a small part of the body. It boasts great things. Consider how small a fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That is written to the church, by the way, guys. That's talking to us. That is talking to us. The lies, the flattery, the deception, the boastfulness is so prevalent. Here's what David wants to have God do. Here's what he says in verse 3 in the middle of all this. Hey, Lord, just cut them off. Cut off their lips, their tongues, all of them that speak boastfully. And we read the Psalms, like I said last week, and we think, man, it's so harsh. It's so in your face, and it is. These imprecatory prayers. David is literally, I mean, by the way, he is not kidding around here. He is meaning it. He's meaning it. As I thought about this week, I thought about the term, as the captain would say, all hands on deck. He's not just saying, bring your thumbs and fingers with you. Bring your whole body with you. This is what David is saying. It may seem like a harsh request that David is asking to be cut off. But if you stop to think about it, think about over the centuries, since the early church, even going before the early church, the prophets themselves, How many have been killed and martyred because of lies that have been brought before rulers and kings, before magistrates, judges, because of the deception of the tongue? Think about this church. Think about the power of the tongue, how it can do far worse damage by perverting the gospel. Those who listen to them will lose more than their lives as we were earlier in Jude 16. They will lose their eternal souls there's countless people around the world who if they are under the influence of a, of, a, of a teacher who perverts the gospel, they are leading them to a place called hell. That's what David is concerned with here. They're leading the people of Israel to a place, to an end that's not going to be good. We use arrogant words, false teachers, prideful words, words of flattery, boastful words. Words of health, wealth, and prosperity. All the things we love to hear. But it's not the Bible. As I thought about this week, I thought of men and women like Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer. Run from them. I will call it out right here. They are perversions of the gospel. They are false teachers who creep into the church and with their own desires, with their own personal gain, they take advantage of people. Hold us as your pastors accountable for the very words of God that are spoken from this pulpit. Absolutely. Hold us accountable. That's why I'm telling you right now, church, it is a fearful thing. It's a fearful thing every time I preach. It's terror to me, quite frankly, because I know the things I say influence the multitudes. It's frightening. It's frightening. When we consider the damage that deceivers can do with the tongue in the church of Jesus Christ, David's harsh words make more sense. Think of the words the apostle Paul wrote to Timothy right before Paul is about to breathe his last breath. He's in his final moments of his life and he writes these words to Timothy. For the time will come, Timothy, when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. It won't be just the teachers who are doing it. We as a people will want to hear it. Be on guard, church. Be in this word. Guard your heart against that. But as I was going through this Psalm 12, it's easy to say the words of the wicked. We can't just apply this to others not looking at ourselves. As we read earlier from James, your tongue and my tongue is a restless evil. It's full of boasting. It's full of lying. It's full of deceiving. It's full of flattery. Not good. Not good. By the way, David's talking to my heart. He's talking to your heart. Um, we all church deserve to be judged by our words and we will be judged by our words. If you don't know Jesus Christ, that's why last week I said, when we talk about the righteous and the wicked, the only way we can be declared righteous is by faith in Jesus Christ. If we're honest, we know that we have hurt and deceived others with our tongue. I have hurt and deceived others with my tongue. I I may yet in my life to do that. Uh, So where does that leave us? Because I think that's the thing. We can read this and it's easy to look look out on our culture. And here's the thing, church, it's always a danger. We want to look outside this place. That's not me. That's them. It's all about us here. He's talking to the people of Israel, God's chosen ones. We're speaking to the church today, us. And so I would say this, there's only been one man church who's never lied, deceived, flattered, or boasted, and that is Jesus Christ himself. He's the one we look to. I think of the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he says this about Jesus. He, speaking of Jesus, did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. If anyone could have boasted, he could have done it. But yet he described himself as gentle and lowly. Jesus Christ is the one man who never sinned with his words. The good news of the gospel, just as I said last week, all the words we've ever spoken, all the unrighteous things we've done, everything we've ever said, lying, deceiving, flattering, boasting, it can all be forgiven at the cross of Jesus Christ. He's the only rescue for our words. Why? Because Peter goes on to write two verses later, he says it's about Jesus. He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That means the tongue of Todd Slegel was healed by Jesus at the cross. Praise God for that. Because believe me, if you know anything about me, I like to talk. Only five seven. I can at times want to power up on people. I know. it's shocking if you don't. If you, those who don't know me. For those who do, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, we know that. We've seen you do that. I, I I say that I, with all seriousness, to know that I'm so grateful that I have a Savior who has forgiven those things in my life and brings me quickly to repentance. Say, God, please. Thank you for redeeming my words, but please, I need your help today and going forward with my words. The people of David's day and the people of our day are still asking the question when it comes to their speech. Who can be our master? The answer is easy, church. God is our master. That means, church, you don't have the right to say whatever you want on social media. Whatever you want to a brother or sister, to a spouse, to a child. Guard your lips, guard your tongue. Out of it flow the issues of life. They are powerful and they can hurt. And yes, they can be redeemed, but they can leave scars and hurt testimonies. And so where do we go from here? David cries out for help. He says why he's crying out for help. And then we hear from the Lord Because of the devastation, in verse 5, of the needy and the groaning of the poor, I will now rise up, says the Lord. I will provide safety for the one who longs for it. I love this. God promises to protect his people. In verse 5, God rises up against the voices of the wicked. By the way, church, just let me read Hebrews real quick. And then I'm going to just, before we get to Hebrews, this is the first psalm that contains a direct answer from God. We do hear from God in Psalm 2, 6, but this is the first, by the way, that's a rarity in the Psalms. David's crying out and God answers him directly in verse 5. I think of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 and 13. It says, the word of God is living and effective and sharper than a double-edged sword. Penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirits, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Jesus, God is saying, Yahweh is saying, I hear you and I am going to act now. The weak and the helpless in this context are a couple different groups of people. They could be one, those who are most vulnerable, the poor, the powerless, the oppressed. Sometimes the needy are actively plundered. Scammers take advantage of those who are in need. Believe me, in my 23 years of pastoral ministry, we have had countless conversations with people who've been taken advantage of, who do not have a financial cushion by those who do payday loans. That is wickedness, by the way. And they can't get out of it. They're stuck. God also hears when the needy, I think he's also dealing with they're quietly grown from neglect. In our society, it could be we know a neighbor in need and we do nothing. We turn the cheek, we close the garage door, we close the door. I don't want to be involved in that. Maybe we know we're aware of a group of immigrants who are being underpaid and we say nothing about it. Well, that's just the worth. They, 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 somebody's got to do it. They're being taken advantage of. There's always been the poor, the oppressed, the needy, and God has his eye on all of it, by the way, church. Last week we said his gaze examines everyone. The, Lord, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. He sees it and he acts but also, we see in this context, the godlier also, the, the oppressed, the poor, the needy are God's people. Throughout the centuries, the church of Jesus Christ has been the poor, the oppressed, the needy. doesn't mean we're financially poor, it just means they're being trampled upon, they're being abused, they're being killed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God sees and He hears the cries of His, of his people. And here's the thing, guys, when it says, I will now rise up, I think this is where we gotta be clear. When it says I will now rise up does not mean he's going to do it. Even though it says I'm going to act now, his now may be different than our now. Our now is five minutes ago. Our now is when I'm in the grocery line and I'm scanning to see where's the quickest line for me to get out of here. Where's the closest parking spot? As I pray, God, open up a parking spot for me. I'm not saying any of you do that. I'm just saying that's a possibility. I, I know I say that in jest, but, but, but our now may not be his now. I think of that. I think of that Jesus a thousand years after David would have penned this psalm. I think of the words of Luke chapter 4 when Luke chapter 4 says this. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent to proclaim relief to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, today as you listen, the scriptures, the scripture has been fulfilled. The ultimate now moment in the history of humanity was when Jesus Christ showed up on the scene. That was the now. He acted now. Now. God took action decisively through his son, Jesus Christ. In a world then filled, filled with lies and deceit, flattery, and boastfulness, Jesus stands up and he preaches the very word of God from Isaiah. David may not have seen it in his lifetime, God acting right then, but, he, but God remembered what he said in that moment. And I would say this, church, whatever you're going through right now, I think this is really important. for We might wait years and decades before God steps in. I will tell you this, you might go to your grave and you never see God step in for something you've been crying out, help Lord, for many days and weeks and months and years. But here's what we do know. One day, as I said last week, he will make everything just, he will make everything right. And he did act now in the person of Jesus Christ. And we end with this. David now responds to his word, to the word of the Lord. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in an earthen furnace, purified seven times. You, Lord, will guard us. You will protect us from this generation forever. The wicked prowl all around, and what is worthless is exalted by the human race. The words of the wicked are corrupt, but here's the bottom line. Every word of God, on the other hand, is precious. It's true. The picture here, church, is like a silversmith. And they're refining the silver by putting it in the fire. In the crucible. And he doesn't just purify it four times. He purifies it seven times. Priceless perfection. The number seven, perfection. It's perfect. There's no flaws in it. Not the slightest impurity remains. Church, as I was thinking this week and studying this text, I, I don't look at this as an idol. But here's the, here's, here's the reality. What you hold in your hand, what I hold in my hand, is the very breath word of God what a gift. I have countless Bibles in my office, in my home. You may have countless in your home. Church, please know this. We hold the perfect, infallible, inerrant word of God. So when lies come our way, when flattery comes our way, when deceit comes our way, when boastfulness comes our way, where should we turn? To the truth and perfection of God's word. When we look around us all this month and we see pride month happening, we should look to the truth of God's word and say, that is rebellion against God. This is the truth of God. That's what we should turn to. In a world full of lies and deceit, we hold the very word of God in our hands. We get to read it. We get to hear it. Church, don't just... Treasure it on a Sunday, treasure it Monday through Saturday. It's precious. When David heard God's answer to his prayer, he marveled at the brilliant perfection and purity of God's word and knew, I'm okay. Because here's the reality if you see the end of Psalm 12 nothing in the culture has changed, which is pretty common in David's day. What does it say at the very end? It says, The wicked prowl all around, and what is worthless is exalted by the human race. It's still around him. Here's the difference. The situation hasn't changed, but David has changed. His perspective has changed. Yes, he's still crying out, help, Lord. But he's also looking around, and he's realizing, God, I can trust your word. I know that no matter what happens around me, your word remains true. It remains true. He realizes that whatever man may do, his friends, his enemies, through lies, deception, flattery, and boasting, he's got one responsibility, trust in the word of the Lord. Trust Yahweh, because he will stick by him. And so I close with this. Last week I asked a question, I'll ask you a question this week. In a world full of lies, deception, flattering, and boasting, what are you actively doing to live out our mission of leading generations to make disciples of Jesus Christ everywhere? What does this word look like in your home, in your workplace, in your Antioch group, in this setting, in your neighborhood? Are, you, are we living on mission? Because it starts with Jesus and his word. I was just convicted this week by this. Is my life, am I really living on mission in a world I can be angry and think it's going wrong here and here and here, and I can look outside, but usually God's word says, hey, Todd, look inside. Look at your own heart. Look at the life of your church because that's where it starts. We must be the salt of the earth and light of the world. Psalm 11, Psalm 12, I think they are so relevant to today. They could have been written today. And we just said, yep, that's true. I want to close with this. I don't have it on the screen. Open your Bibles if you have to Ephesians chapter 6. I thought of the words of the Apostle Paul. Sorry for my time. Verses 10 through 20. Paul says this. Finally, speaking to the church at Ephesus, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God. So you may be able to stand, be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest. And your feet sampled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Church. Be in this word, because there are going to come times. If you're not not the helmet of salvation, Jesus Christ, if you're not taking the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, then when we're in a world filled with lies, even in our own church, sometimes we can say things, that's not right. We need to correct one another sometimes. We must know this word, love this word, love one another. So when those moments come, we can speak with boldness in a world that needs to hear the redemptive hope of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's pure. It's inerrant. It's infallible. God, if I said anything today that is out of context, please forgive me now. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in this room or watching online that is yet to bow the knee, that, that quite frankly, they're really saying, I'm my own master. I pray today would be the day of salvation and they would, they would bow the knee to the master, you, Jesus. And for God, those who do know you, who have called you Jesus, their master, I pray that our words, our lies, would match up with that. I pray if there's things we've said this week that we're, we know we shouldn't have said, actions, motives, desires, flattering, boasting, lying, deceiving, I pray we would just confess it right now, knowing it's already been forgiven at the cross. I pray in advance, God, of things I know I'll say going forward. And God, I mean that. I, I, pl- I pray we will be quick as the church of Jesus Christ to be repentant people. God, I I pray we will truly be salt of the earth and light of the world and um, in a world full, filled with lies and deceit, flattery, and boastfulness. And so thank you for David, for inspiring him through the Holy Spirit to pen Psalm 12 3,000 years ago. And here we are in 2022, and it is just as true. We need you desperately. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.